Good morning. It is great to be here. I hope you're excited about being in the Lord's house. Get your Bible out this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. After you find Ephesians chapter 4, flip back over um, to the Old Testament and find 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter, 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter. Um, I'll read from both of those in just a second. Um, it is good to be here. Let me remind you of a couple of things this morning. Um, we are excited to be back. As you can see, I'm going to have all my fingers and toes, and we call that a successful trip. And so um, um, we had 11 guys that ended up going to Victoria, Texas. We stayed down there eight days. We got back Wednesday. Um, seven of those 11 guys came from Live Oak Baptist, and so good job, folks, and I appreciate it. And um, Who knows where we'll go next? We hear a rumor that there's been a storm in Florida. And so um, we might be headed there next. Um, so if there's always opportunities, and we'll keep you posted of um, what's going on, just pray that the next storm that's out there will disappear and just dissolve out there in the ocean. Um, I feel sure they, they don't desire to have a second storm anytime soon. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning down at the 14th verse. Then there will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will become in every aspect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined together, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. And then over in um, First Chronicle, First Chronicle, I'm not going to read but one verse, but we'll talk about um, this chapter in a little bit. First Chronicles, um, the 32nd verse. First Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 32. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today just um, speak to us. Father, we come expecting. Father, we come desiring. Father, um, we come um, trusting that the Holy Spirit will um, just fill us today. That, Father, um, your word um, will just be clear. And, Father, um, that we will be those people of understanding. Father, we will know what you want us to do, and then, Father, we'll have the courage to do it. Father, I continue to lift up um, all those that have been um, affected by storm. Father, not just um, the physical storms, not just those folks in Texas and those in Florida, but, but Father, um, sometimes there's a lot of storms in our personal life. Father, sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. It's, a, it's an impending surgery in the days ahead and, and the nervousness about that. Father, it's some physical um. Um, situation we um, find ourselves dealing with. Father, I pray in all of those cases, Father, what is um, felt and seen the most is your presence. Father, um, you promised that um, we never walk through the storm alone, that, Father, you are there with us. Father, help all of those folks today to know your presence, to know that you're God and that you've not forgotten them, you've not forsaken them, that you love them dearly, and that, Father, um, you will walk with them each and every step of the journey, wherever that journey may lead. Now, Father, today, um, if there's someone here that needs to meet Jesus Christ, would this be the hour, would this be the day? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
it is good to be back, and um, it's always good to be back. And so I'm just excited about um, being here today. And so hopefully you got your bulletin this morning, and you read, and you saw the title for this morning's message, and you said, boy, I'm all excited about that, and I'm ready to go. So let's go back in time. And if we go back in time, you know, we're, we're going to talk about um, things from a couple different perspectives this morning. Um, Paul is writing to the early church at Ephesus, and so some of those people, they would have been longtime church members, so to speak. To some of those other people, they would have been brand new church people, and so things would have been new and different to them. And so when we go back in time, I want to do it from our perspective um, as we um, sit here today and as we think about it. So if you can go back and imagine just being a member of the early church in Ephesus, and as you're a member of the early church in Ephesus, you were a faithful Jewish believer. And you believe that, um, and, and you lived waiting for the coming Messiah, and you embraced that Jesus was indeed that Messiah, and you've now committed to becoming his disciple, and, and it's an incredible change in your life. It's an incredible moment in your life that the Messiah has come. But you come from a system of priests and animal sacrifices um, for atonement of sin. And there were other religious rituals that were part of them, which you'd all thought were unnecessary. And now you realize that none of those things are any longer necessary because of Jesus. Jesus has paid the price once and for all. Jesus has um, paid the price for sin, and the penalty for sin has been paid. And you're not quite sure how this new church, how this change um, is going to play itself out and exactly how it's going to be. And so, you know, you're trying to figure out how the new local church operates. And Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he writes the letter to them. And so you're trying to figure out, knowing the changes will occur, what will happen next. So Paul gives some specific instructions to the church at Ephesus on how to operate. And he talks about new things, changes, things that are changes to these people. And he talks about things like apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And as you're going back and you're thinking in your mind what you've always been taught about church and religion, you don't remember any of those folks in the Old Testament. Those are new things, and, and you're trying to, to sort it all out, and things are changing. And, you know, it, it's a, a foreign to you, and it's a new way of doing things, and it's not how you used to do the church. And so you're wondering how these new leaders are going to equip you to do the work of the church, to do ministry, and continue to um, realize that things are changing. But let's pretend you're that member at the church at Ephesus, and you're a new member. You've recently been saved. You were a Gentile. You grew up um, in pagan worship, and, and you grew up worshiping the fertility god um, Diana, and, and you had a dramatic conversion experience, kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus, and, and suddenly your eyes were open to, to, to who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, and all this Jesus stuff is new to you. I mean, you've not been part of the local church long enough to figure out how they've done it for years, much less on um, what's going on now. And so, so you come, and there's changes in your life. There's changes because you've just encountered Jesus, and you're trying to sort all of that out, and you're just beginning to make sense of some of those changes in your life. When Paul comes along, and Paul outlines, and he says, look, by the way, there's going to be more changes. He said there's going to be more changes. And so you're, you're just sitting there trying to figure out... and. 
And at some point in that equation, regardless of whether you are, are, are the Jewish person that's been in church for years, or whether you're the Gentile that's new to church and has just met Jesus, or maybe you're a member of Live Oak Baptist Church and you've been here for a long time, or maybe you're somebody that's relatively new to Live Oak Baptist Church and you're thinking about all the changes that you've heard about in recent weeks and you say, why? Why, why, why all the change? Why all this change? Well, that's kind of the subject of the first half of this morning's message, change. Why is change there? And um, I believe Paul gives us the answer to that question. Paul, as he writes in the book of Ephesians, he talks about unity in the church and talks about the need for the local church and how the church operates. And so he begins to answer why, why change is necessary. And the first thing he says is change is a necessary ingredient for Christian living. He says change is a necessary. Paul says that as a result of this new way of um, doing church, he said we should no longer do church the way we did church when we were young as children. And then he gives an example, and he says, we didn't do church as children, and I got my horse. I started to ride it in this morning, but I thought y'all would laugh at me, so I just brought my horse with me this morning. And, you know, I actually have three horses like this. I have a smaller brown one that's dark brown, and then I have a black one, and then I have this one. And, you know, if you come to my house, sometimes you'll catch me riding this horse. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Yeah, your, your, your pastor rides his horse when his youngest granddaughter, Addie's at the house. You know, we'll ride through the house, and she'll be on one horse, and I'll be chasing her on the other horse, and we're just having a good time. And you wouldn't think anything strange about that because that's the way it is. And Paul says that's the way it is. But if you had seen me ride to church from my house four miles from here this morning and come up Perkins Road and go down Springfield riding this horse, you probably would have called somebody because you'd have thought the preacher had lost it. But that's, that's kind of the gist of what Paul says. Paul says there comes time in our life when it's time to put away childish things. He said the time comes to put away your stick pony and to get a real pony. And he said then at some point you might even put the pony away and get a real horse. And so that's kind of the starting point as we think about it today. I think some people in the local church needs to graduate and get a horse. Because there's folks in the local church that are still riding a stick pony. And Paul says if we're going to grow, and he says that's the reason changes have to take place. He says sometimes it's time to put up the stick pony and get on the horse. And Paul's point is that children are too vulnerable to evil influences. He says they're easily tricked into believing and doing things that are wrong. And he says we as Christians, if we stay on that level of Christian growth, we're just as vulnerable as those children are. You know, it'd kind of be like um, if there had been a bale of um, hay down in Florida about a week ago. Um, that bale of hay wouldn't have, whatever the wind didn't scatter to and fro, the rain would have destroyed the rest of it. And he says, when you as a Christian stay immature as a child in your faith, he said, that's where you're, he said, you're tossed about by every wave that comes along. He says, you won't survive. He says, it will destroy you because you're immature in your faith. And he says, change is a necessary ingredient for the Christian. And then he goes on to say, not only is change a necessary ingredient in the Christian life, 
He says change is a lifelong process for the Christian. Change is a lifelong commandment to grow in our faith and to grow in every aspect of Christ. And he goes on to say there's many aspects of Christ and it takes a lifetime of growing and changing to become the person that Christ has called you to be. Howard Turner is not the same person that Howard Turner was 24 years ago. I mean, you know, he, he's not the same preacher he was 20, 24 years ago. And some of y'all have simply forgotten how bad he preached and how bad a pastor he was. And for that, I'm grateful. You know, but that's the reality. You know, Johnny Morgan um, is not the same person he was 14 years ago. 14 years ago, Johnny was our part-time student minister with limited experience as a student minister but he had a heart to serve. He had a heart to serve, and today, Brother Johnny is the ultimate example of what a student minister should look like. Today, Brother Johnny is the envy of most every pastor that knows Brother Johnny, that he's the guy that they would love to have on their staff as their student minister. But Brother Johnny today is no longer just a student minister. Brother Johnny has grown and matured into being an associate pastor. And he's the associate pastor that every pastor would love to have. The guy that's there to step up and do whatever needs to be done. Things change. And 20 years from now, Johnny Morgan won't be the same person Johnny Morgan is today. Paul says that change is a necessary ingredient in our Christian life and that change is a lifelong process. If we're going to become Christ-like, he said, it's something that we have to continue to work at and strive toward all of our life. There's a great difference in being content in Christ and being content with where we are in our Christian walk. I think sometimes we read the Scripture and it talks about contentment, and we think, well, I'm content with who I am. Well, folks, I hope you are never content with who you are. Be content with who you are in Christ, but he says that we should always strive for the goal. He said we should always strive to become more like Christ, always striving to be more like Jesus Christ. And growth requires change. Christ's likeness is our goal. And I'm just be honest, we'll never fully achieve that here on earth. You know, that, that's never going to happen. We're never going to, but, but. Anything less than continuing toward that goal is unacceptable. We're to grow. He says we're to grow, and then he says we're to grow up. And he says, and after we grow up, he said we're to constantly be growing to be more like Jesus Christ. And he says that applies to the local leaders of the church. He said that applies to every pastor and student minister and Sunday school teacher and deacon. He says every leader in the local church should always be growing in Christ. But he said it also applies to every church member in the local church because Paul writes this to the entire body of believers at Ephesus, not just the church leaders. And then Paul points out as he talks about that, that that, that change is a lifelong process for the church. You know, it makes sense because the church is not these four walls or the four walls in D building or the walls in A building. He says the church is the people. The church is the body of Christ. And he says the church that fails to change fails to impact the community that is changing. 
You know, our community is constantly changing, and if we as a church fail to change, we will fail to impact that community. It fails to impact the community, and it fails to impact the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's easy for the church to become a dinosaur, a relic um, of a world that no longer exists. The reality is, folks, the church that fails to change does, on one hand, protect stress levels of the members in the church because the church that fails to change for a lot of people it's stress-free it's what they've always known they found their little comfort zone they've got their place they sit every Sunday they've got the people they associate with and so if we never change those people are comfortable and yes if we decide to be a church that refuses to change there will be less stress for those people but on the other hand, to fail to change means that a church becomes biblically and spiritually irreverent in the world in which we live because it says we, the church, are to be the salt of the world. And it says if we fail to change, our salt will become tasteless. It says the church is to be the light in the world. And it says if we fail to change, our light will dim and eventually go out. You know, we cannot be that church. He says as we grow and as we work, as the scripture says, it says that growth and that work causes the church to grow. And he says if we don't grow and work properly, he says we impede the growth of the entire body. He says as each individual should grow to be more like Christ, the church should be grow to be more like Christ. Change is a necessary ingredient in the Christian life. And change is a lifelong process in the life of a church. Live Oak Baptist Church is a young church. Live Oak Baptist Church, um, it, it was a mission for several years and became a church in 1996. That's a short lifespan. But God continues for Live Oak Baptist Church to grow and minister in our community and make a difference in the lives of those that he allows us to touch. Believing that. Believing that, then you have to believe the title to this morning's message, that change is not a dirty word. You know, change is not a dirty word. In fact, we should be agents of change. I think even more so than that, we should be agents of positive change. So how does that play out? How, how do you take that and relate that and make that part of who we were and who we are and who we will continue to be? Kind of like the reporter that went to um, the small town to, to visit a, a gentleman who was celebrating his 100th birthday. And it was a small town, and they decided to have a birthday party for their 100-year-old citizen in their town. And so the, a reporter had come to put a little picture in the newspaper. And the reporter asked, he says, look, he says, you've been around a long time. You've seen a lot of change. He said, yep. She says, well, You've seen a lot of change in these years. And he says, yep, and I've been against every one. You know, and we can laugh about that, folks, but sometimes that's exactly where we are in the local church. Now, I don't believe that represents Live Oak Baptist Church, but I do think it is a reminder to all of us that we have to be careful that we don't get to that attitude and have that perspective that we have to see that changes are part of life. And we cannot be against every change. We have to use every change to grow the kingdom of God. So why, why do we tend to be negative of change? 
You've all heard it said, nobody likes change. Even my baby doesn't like it when you change his diaper. I mean, yeah, but it's got to be done. So, so why are we that way? Why are we sent, Why is our, our central focus always negative when it comes to change? I think it's because we've witnessed the world change around us. The world is not the same world that I was born into, and it's not the same world that you were born into. It's a different world. Today is a world that, um, from our perspective, um, has more evil in it, has more violence in it, has less um, unity. I, I mean, we, we're, you would think things would be getting better, but things in our world seem to be getting worse. We've got um, foreign nations that um, continue to, to threaten the rest of the world with nuclear um, um, devices. It just seems to be one of those worlds that you wonder why it's going on and how it's taking place and you wonder how it's happening. I don't think we even like what happens in Livingston Parish sometimes. You know, in our own parish, we don't like some of the change. We don't like some of the, the number of subdivisions that are being built. And look, if, I know you don't like change. Try building a shed in your backyard. That, that'll stir you up, and it, particularly if you want electricity in it, because you're going to have to have six permits and ten people come inspect it, and don't get in any hurry to do it, because, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to take for. So I think because of that, when we hear the word change, it takes on a negative um, mindset to us, and we, we, we tend to oppose it, and it, sometimes change makes us mad, makes us sad, and honestly, it makes you wonder, can I really make a difference? Can I really make it? The world is changing, and, and nothing I've done seems to be making a difference. Can I really make a difference? And so soon, the word change becomes a dirty word. It becomes a word that we want no part of. But God's desire for us, God's desire for the local church, is that we would be an army of agents of change, and that we would change the world in a positive way. That we would be the people that change it. So how do we effectively do that? How, how do we as the church, as the members of the body of Christ, how do we make positive change? You know that passage in um, First Chronicles, when, when he writes over there, he says, the men understood. He says, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. You know, this is a time in the life of Israel when, when, king, when David is about to become king and as the people have witnessed what has taken place and, and Saul's leadership is going away and, and they, they, they're starting to rally to David. They're starting to rally to David because they know that David is the next anointed person to become king. And so it says, and it starts to list, if you read that chapter, all kind of groups of people that knew that and begin to come. And when it gets to the men of Issachar, it says, they understood the time. They understood the time so they knew what to do. Folks, we cannot change our world unless we know what's going on. We cannot change our world unless we're part of of the change in a positive way, I, I just think sometimes we're out of touch. <laughs> I, I think sometimes the lights are on and there's no one home. And, you know, things are changing in our world and in our church. So how do we get smart? How do we understand the times? Some of these things apply to the church. Some of them apply to us to individuals. And some of them apply to, to, to both the church and us as individuals. The first of those things is prayer. He says pray. He says, ask God to give you insight into our community. Ask God to give you a vision for what needs to change in our community and how you can effectively be a part of making that change become a reality. You know, because all of us have a different circle of influence. 
You know, I, I told them at 8 o'clock, and I pointed a few people out, and I said, you know, that person knows 100 people, and of those 100 people, I know 50 of them, but there's 50 people he knows that, and that person, and I could do that in here, and I could start going around there. A.D. Welch knows every fisherman in Louisiana, okay? And that's just the reality, you know, and I can't get any of them to take me fishing, you know? But, but I just say I take advantage of these moments, but, but look, that's the, he knows a group of people that I'll never meet. He knows a group of people that I'll never meet, and, you know, and, and that's the reality, folks. And Jay Sims works in a plant with a bunch of guys that I'll never encounter, but he encounters those people, and he knows those people. So the reality is we've got to understand that and realize if we're going to change the world, I can't change the whole world, and you can't change the whole world. But there is a circle of influence that you have, and you can change that. You can change that group of people, and you need to pray that God would open your eyes to where the change is taking place so that you can have a positive influence. Ask God to open your eyes where change needs to take place and how you can facilitate that change. As a church member, we need to pray and ask that God would give us a heart for the change that He has planned for our church and ask God to give you a peace about the change that will occur in our church and ask God to help you be used in a way that makes that change take place in a positive way. Prayer is where we begin, folks, if we're going to get smart. The second thing we've got to do is read. And as I thought about read, I said, well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, but is it? Folks, we've got to read the newspapers, and we've got to read magazines, and we've got to particularly read the community news and books, anything that will um, help us have insight into the modern culture. We say modern culture, and a lot of times we want to back off from that because we think the modern culture is going wild. But, but look, most of us, most of us that sit in church on Sunday really don't understand the modern culture. They don't understand the world out there because we don't want any part of it, so we buried our head in sand and pretend it's not, you know. Look, you need to know what the hot topics are, and I'm not talking about the gossip, okay? I'm talking you need to know what the hot topics are. I mean, like here in, in Watson, you need to know where the new subdivisions are going. You need to know, I mean, recently, it's not been that long, the hot topic was the gravel pit up on Highway 16, you know, and you could go to a community meeting and find out about some of that stuff, and and. Look, it's not often about um, even injecting your personal preference into those conversations because your personal preference often doesn't matter. But if you're not aware of those situations, you can't have a conversation with people that that's all they want to talk about. But once they want to talk about them, it gives you an open door to start conversations. You know, it, it may be hard for you to start a conversation about Jesus Christ. It may be hard for you to start a conversation and ask somebody, um, do they believe in Jesus Christ? Are they a follower of Jesus Christ? It may be hard for you to ask them to come to, to, to Live Oak Baptist Church, but you know what it's not hard to do? It's not hard to sit and listen to them while they tell you what they're concerned about. They tell you why they're concerned that they're going to build this new subdivision and it's going to put 500 new cars on the road and I already can't get out of my driveway. And so as you listen to those conversations and, and you understand what the cultural concerns are, it gives you the open door of opportunity to talk about things that have eternal impact. It gives you the right. You build relationships and you do that. You know, in the church, we need to read. If we're going to be smart, we need to read. Look, as the staff, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody to tell us we've got something planned. So, well, I didn't know about that. And it was only in the newsletter twice. It was in the bulletin three weeks in a row. We made three announcements from the pulpit. And somebody says, I still don't have a clue. 
You know, look, we can't do much, but, but you can. You, you can read. You can read your newsletter. You can be um, the bulletin. You can be informed about what's going on. You can see what the upcoming dates are. It's impossible for you to participate in change in the church if you're not smart. If you're not um, up on what's going on, you can't make the next personnel committee meeting or the next finance committee meeting or the next business meeting to ask your questions or to listen to what's going on if you don't even know when they are. It says change is part of life in a church. And so if you want to be a positive agent of change, he says you have to um, be, be informed. And he says we need to be informed. It says we need to talk to people. You need to find out what makes them tick. And in the local church, folks, you need to talk to fellow members in, your, um, in the church. You need to ask them questions. Don't assume things. If you've got a question, go to somebody and ask. And if they can't ask the question, don't make something up. Um, then the two of you can go somewhere until you can get the answer to that question. But we need to be informed so that we can make it happen. Don't assume things. Ask. Be part of the process. He says, you know, and then I love Jesus on multiple occasions and he says it in multiple settings, always says go. He always says go. So he says, while you're getting in the, that's, that's what Paul says, while you're getting in the know, go. That's what he says, while you're gathering information, while you're getting all that information so that you can be a, a positive change agent, he says, then go. He says, go and make a change. In um, the, the 16th chapter of Mark, he says to them, Jesus is speaking, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. To all, so who are we supposed to help make positive change in their lives? Everybody. You don't get to pick and choose. He says all of creation. He says we're to go everywhere. He says, look, I'm always asked, give me a practical way to make that happen. Look, here's an easy one for you. Make the commitment. Make the commitment to at least one non-Christian, one non-church-going person or couple, whatever works in your situation, make a commitment that um, every month you're going to take at least one non-Christian and one non-church member out to um, supper. Just That's it. Take them out to lunch. Take them out to supper. You might be amazed if you start a conversation about church what they think about the church. You know, we talk about a liberal education. <laughs> you might get educated and get some things told to you that you don't want to hear, but things we might need to hear. How can we change the world's perspective if we don't even understand the world's perspective? Folks, it's, it's important that we get out there. Look, maybe for some of you it's that opportunity to get out there. It says that we're to go to all people, not wait for them to come to us. We're to go to them. You know, when he talks about getting out, uh, I can't think of a better time in the life of a church than where Live Oak Baptist Church to introduce yourself to, um, to, to other church members. Somebody this morning, we were having a conversation about people, and he said, well, I go around and shake hands, but he says, they don't wear name tags, and he says, I don't always know, I know the face, but I don't know the name. Look, if you don't know their name, you ever heard of, hey, what's your name? It's okay. It's okay to go up to somebody and say, there's people sitting here right now this morning that um, I could not tell you their name. I know the preacher's supposed to know everybody, but that's the reality, folks. We've got some guests this morning. We've got some people that have been here several times. I don't know their name. It's okay for me to go up and say, hey, I'm Howard Turner. What's your name? Why don't we do that? Take advantage of the opportunity and get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ. Consider joining a small group. You know, it's amazing. So many people that have never been part of a small group, and they finally join a small group, how the most common answer is, 
you know, this was really fun. I'm glad I got to know you. I really didn't know that about you. It's nice that I know a little bit about you and your family. Make the effort, folks. Get smart. And then he says we're to get busy. We don't need to make Jesus prevalent. I think sometimes we think we do. He already is, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a misconception. Well, I don't know how to fit Jesus into our... Jesus is the only thing that makes any sense in this world. Jesus is the only thing that can change this world. Jesus is the only hope for this world. Our greatest capacity to change lives is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's it in a nutshell. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has the potential to make more positive change in America, in Watson, in your neighbor's life than any other thing that you can ever tell them about. It says we're to go and we're to get busy. Change. A lot of things have changed, folks. A lot more things are going to change. There was a day when I believed that Christianity was the revolution that turned the world upside down. And things changed. And things changed sadly. Christianity today has far too many Christians sitting in a Sunday morning service looking at their watches and thinking, what am I going to have for lunch? And will I get home in time for the kickoff? Things have changed. Today we hope that the church won't interfere with the things that we'd rather be doing. It's time for change. It's time for change, and change is part of life. So I go back and I simply remind us of what Paul says. Paul says we need to raise the bar. Paul says we need to redefine change. We must realize that change is a necessary ingredient in the Christian life. If you're a Christian, if you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then there's things in your life that need to change. Because every day you should be changing to be more like Christ. He says that change is a lifelong process. It's not a one and done thing. You didn't meet Jesus, get saved, and it's all over. That's not what Paul tells to the early church at Ephesus. Paul says it's going to be a long journey, but he says hang around for the ride. It's going to be one heck of a ride. He said change is part of our life. Understand that we, the church, can be positive change agents if we'll get smart. And I believe getting smart, folks, begins in prayer, begins with um, reading and talking and getting informed. God says it's time to get out and get busy, change is coming. You can't stop it. Somebody this morning before the 8 o'clock service, because um, at the end of the service today, um, some of the, the guys will be in the back, and they're going to hand you out ballots so that you can start turning in nominations for people to put on the, be on the search committee. And so I guess one of them will make that announcement in a little bit. But they made this comment. They said, well, I'll fix that. I just won't put any names, then we won't have a search committee, and then you can't leave. And I said, ain't happening, folks. Change is coming. You know, and, and so you can bury your heads in the sand and pretend otherwise, or you can be a positive part of the process. 
Change is essential for the life of a Christian. Change is essential for the life of the church. Live Oak Baptist Church is going to have to make some changes. And Live Oak Baptist Church wants to be the salt in our community. And Live Oak Baptist Church wants to be the church whose light continues to shine brightly. Change is part of that. We will never change the gospel message, but we may have to change the way we reach our world. And the reason I am confident that change is okay is because we know the one thing that doesn't change. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, we need not be afraid.